Here we go. Jordan Plotnick, thank you so much for joining us on Dark Mode, my friend. No worries. Re really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'd, uh, I just want to give a couple of sentences as a background on Jordan prior to jumping in. And then if you wouldn't mind extrapolating on some of this information, Jordan, because I feel like I will do you a severe injustice. So Jordan is an esteemed expert in security risk to critical infrastructure, specializing in designing and operating resilient operational systems with a background as an Air Force veteran and space systems PhD. He brings a wealth of knowledge to the field, particularly in the aerospace sector. Jordan, feel free to extrapolate. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Honestly, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty good. I, I sound quite good from you from that little description. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, thank you. Um, yeah. So as you mentioned, Air Force background, it sounds like we've got a bit of love for that here. Um, and after that, I worked for Deloitte where I was working on critical infrastructure clients, uh, on, on the security side, of course. Um, and then from there, I worked for Talos. I was the senior security architect for, um, the civil military air traffic, uh, system there. And, uh, and also went over to Canada with them, uh, to work in artificial intelligence. Uh, since then I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've gone into the space arena, qu uh, quite heavily. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, I've been very focused on that. I work for, I would do critical infrastructure security consulting still with Ancrum Consulting, but I'd say my main focus has shifted to space in the last four or five years. Told you we'd uh, do you a severe injustice with that intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's all good. I, I did, I had to live through it. So, <laughs> and, uh, in your spare time, I have completed a PhD in philosophy. Uh, or a doctorate in philosophy. Is that an ATM machine again? Did I say ATM machine? That's an ATM machine. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, and it. I've just, I've really enjoyed your thesis uh, writing, which we will share in the show notes, which is just a, a small 358 pager. Right. Surprised you had the time to read that. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's actually really good stuff and I'm sure we'll get into it during the conversation today. So thanks for joining us, Jordan. Yeah, very happy to be here. Thank you. Look for the first question. How do you, how do you write a thesis on, uh, and we're going to go to the title here. And, and I was laughing at Gabe earlier because it was, it's a, it's a hard title to get, at, but let me give it a threat driven resilience assessment framework and security ontology for space systems. Uh, one, yes. uh, the question is, how do you write a thesis that long on something that is, is uh, so far forward looking? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Writing a thesis to begin with is, is a challenge in, in itself. <laughs> But then, yeah, moving, like looking forwards, uh, I was surprised, honestly, like when I first started, uh, my PhD, I, I actually originally started looking at the electric grid and for a whole, um, a whole host of reasons, which, uh, which I won't get into right now, I, I ended up changing to look at space specifically. And when I started, I was thinking, oh, this is pretty futuristic and, and I'm not sure how much of this will actually be relevant and, and impactful. But the more, the more that I actually got into it, I. I realized this is such a critical domain, you know, it is actually recognized as critical infrastructure now, but the thing is that all of our critical infrastructure, well, perhaps not all, but a lot of our critical infrastructure hinges on space systems in, in one way or another. And so, uh, there was actually ended up being quite a lot to write about and I struggled to keep it only at that, uh, 380 pages long. So yeah, I'm continuing to write papers about it, but it turns out it's not so forward looking as I had imagined when I first started. Hey, Jordan, could you break down for us? And I had this personal experience because we actually crossed paths a couple of weeks ago at the Australian Space Summit. And yeah. 
in a in a turmoil of events, I got asked very late late minute by the team at Palo Alto Networks to jump on a panel for securing space systems. And I was like, okay, I'm prepared to talk. There's a lot of universal threads around security, and I'm sure they can be applied to the domain of space. But when I started to dive deeper into it, I was like, wow, this is really interesting stuff. So perhaps for the unassuming, could you just break down, you know, the reliance on space systems, why it is such critical infrastructure, how like interwoven it is into our daily lives, just to give us that, that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'll just start by saying, well done, because uh, you did very well in that panel. So <laughs> it's, Thanks, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, d- I did pick great. up, uh, what was it? Space domain awareness and terrestrial infrastructure. So yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A few, few buzzwords from ben. that, yeah. uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, sorry. In that excitement, I forgot what your question was. Um, can I break it down? Oh yeah. The terrestrial infrastructure. No, sorry. The, just the, um, just the, the reliance on space systems and how interwoven it is in our, in our daily life and therefore how critical mm. it is to secure those, uh, that infrastructure. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's right. Yeah. So it, it really is uh, a lot more integrated than I, I would have ever thought. And, and I think that most people wouldn't think about it. I'm currently, I'm doing some talks on this. And one question I like to start with is how would your life change if satellite system was hacked right now? And most people just sort of shrug their shoulders and like, no, nothing would change. But the reality is almost everything would change, uh, you know, depending on which system is attacked, of course, and, and the extent of it. But the reality is that um, our global banking rely on space systems. So that would go down given the right systems are impacted. Um, our, a lot of our aviation and train infrastructure uh, use uh, satellites for positioning and communications. Um, or, and communications just full stop. So internet goes down for a large swath of people uh, as well if the right systems are taken down, which we actually saw happen in the Ukraine um, when that was the day before Russia invaded uh, on land. They actually you know, launched a wide-scale attack and it took down internet for over 9,000 uh, users across. Actually, I think it was 9,000 in France specifically. Um, so yeah, one-fifth of, of, in, of internet users lost their connection across Central Europe. Um, and then on top of that, when you lose internet, a lot of uh, our uh, other critical infrastructures rely on on these sort of aspects to maintain long distance networks. So, for example, also in that same attack, uh, wind turbines went down. One fifth of uh, actually it was five thousand eight hundred wind turbines went down from this attack. Um, and and so this is just one real life example. But the reality is that so much of of everything that we do relies on space in ways that we wouldn't even imagine whether it's direct or if it's through a supply chain or through ripple on effects, it's quite insane how much impact these things that are floating all the way up there have on our life day to day here. Well, Ben, you can imagine when I got subbed on last minute and I had the hour, the, the night to prepare, I came home to Nikayla and Ebony and I was like, just explaining the realm to them. And they're just like eyes glazing over. I'm like, just imagine like if a GPS system went down. Like, exactly, you know, yeah. Taylor, you wouldn't be able to religiously check the, the weather for tomorrow. Yeah. You know, like your, these sort of examples. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that whoop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoop. yeah so, um, Jordan, my, my background too, for context is, uh, is I was a single in, in the army and, uh, and I worked in some interesting environments where we looked at electronic countermeasures and part of mm-hmm. our forward observing threat landscape was space as the vector of attack and what were the implications of that. And it is, it is wild when you go through and you list out exactly the capabilities that rely on space. GPS, a big one, Gabe. 
um, you know, you're talking global positioning systems across the board that that impacts yeah. daily life. Imagine not having GPS, imagine trying to get to places. There's no refidexes anymore. You don't have the, to change the maps in the car anymore. It's communications. You mentioned the internet. That's, that's just a critical piece to, to everyone's daily life these days. But simple things like some of the energy grids rely on some of that space continuum. You know, you look at yep. the, the Leo, the Mio um, satellites in the constellations at the moment. We're so heavily reliant on those type of infrastructure. You shut down some of those orbital systems. That there's such impact and diverse impacts that people just aren't aware of, let alone prepared for um, as nations. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it must be treated as critical infrastructure, because when you say nations, like this is our society that we're talking about. And with, as with any critical infrastructure, you have an impact to it. It's critical for a reason. You have an impact to that and your society starts to crumble pretty quickly. Um, and we saw some of that in COVID, not, not directly space, but we've had supply chain interruptions and all sorts of things. And it's pretty fast that you realize just how critical, how going to the, to Woolies and picking that thing off the, suddenly that becomes difficult and your society starts to crumble. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking space security as well, those kinds of impacts. The, um, the, the picking the shelf off stuff, I always found that as an interesting, uh, topic when we were brought, breaking it down is that, uh, the. The assets that control the container movement off ships is controlled by a satellite in, in most instances. Just, just the fact of picking up the container off the ship, that, that is impacted. Not to mention mm -hmm. the GPS for the ships to get to the ports. That there's, you know, the second and third order effects of this beyond what is the, uh, the going to the grocery store and picking the, the meagering noodles off the shelf and, and taking <laughs> them home. The second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth order effects behind that, the impacts is just it's, it's, it's hard to quantify. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, me going, I actually just had a pack for lunch. So <laughs> that, that's, uh, that, that resonates quite heavily right now. <laughs> hey, jo but, hey, Jordan, yeah. can I, um, sorry to jump in there. Like I'm really interested in like the threat driven element of your thesis in particular and to sort of get into the detail of it, but could you, mm -hmm. and you mentioned an example just in the opening there, but what are the space security threats as you discovered during your thesis process? Yeah. So, um, if you want to deep dive into this, there's a really good annual publication that comes out from CSIS, um, at the space threat assessment. And, uh, you know, that, that's a good start, but that's where we did start with the research and they had a, uh, I guess a high level, well, it's not a high level. They've got a quite a detailed taxonomy that they use for their threat assessment. And, you know, it, it covers the different, uh, types of threats, which I'm about to get into. Um, but. Uh, I just wanted to make the distinction that when we started looking at that, it, we actually went more broad in the end in the thesis, because one thing that that's really important is, um, the threats are so key to, to the discussion of resilience in particular, because you can be resilient to one type of threat and not another. Um, so that's why it's a threat driven approach. And that's why getting the threat, um, taxonomy is, is right, is very important and understanding the actual threats to the system is so important because if you're going to be talking about resilience. Um, you might be resilient to an earthquake, but not a cyber attack. They're two very different understandings uh, that you need to come to. And so the, we, we sort of, um, the simplified version is we had four key threat categories. There was, uh, we, well, cyber is, is an obvious one. Um, so cyber is one of them. Electromagnetic threats is another, um, and that includes things from lasers to electromagnetic pulse weapons and, um, all sorts of really interesting, crazy things in that area. And then you've got your kinetic. Uh, threats, um, which could be an anti-satellite missile, for example, or 
It could be as simple as going into a ground station segment with a gun and holding people up and suddenly that entire constellation is held up. Um, and then you've also got your finally your non-malicious threats, uh, which is what we call non-malicious, but it's really, I guess it could be environmental, it could be space junk, but there's an element within this non-malicious category that, uh, that could well be a threat rather than a hazard in that, for example, space junk, uh, or, or we, we've got, there are 8,000 satellites in space right now, five and a half thousand are functional, like in use. So that means there's two and a half thousand satellites wow. that are sort of sitting in the junk belt. Um, wow. and, um, yeah, and there's been some research that came out uh, last year where they were able to actually hack into one of these satellites um, that were sitting in the junk belt and not being monitored, not being used, and broadcast a signal across the whole uh, East Coast, I believe it was the East Coast or the West Coast of the US. And, and so that raises the question, how many of these two and a half thousand decommissioned satellites have any uh, kind of fuel or anything left in them? Maybe you could use it as a weapon. And so that's where your non-malicious category is still relevant to the malicious actors as well that is wild yeah it's pretty crazy stuff isn't it um that, yeah that it's is a bit mind-blowing it sounds uh, very futuristic but the reality is that the stuff's kind of happening right now it is mind-blowing there's, um, there's also the, the, the non-malicious threats solar flares seems to be a big one and it's it's yep front of mind at the moment with the big solar flare on the uh on the sun's surface at the moment it's the biggest we've ever seen and we're interested to see how that's going to affect some of the space communications at the moment there was actually on solar flares in, I, I can't remember the exact dates, but I'm pretty sure it was in the 1800s. There was a, a massive event, uh, an electromagnetic event. And uh, if we were to see something for, of that size today, it would essentially wipe out our satellite ecosystem. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's a big, it's wow. a big deal. It just yeah. goes to show how fragile our ecosystem or our infrastructure that's, that is above us is. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, think about, it. I'm sure we'll go into resilience now, Jordan, but like, how do you mitigate against that plethora of threats? And you can imagine the repercussions on oh, exactly what we're talking about. So fascinating. Yeah. Mitigating it is, is a challenge. And that's sort of why I had to go into a whole PhD of it in the end. And I'm still <laughs> researching it. But yeah, th there are some things that are, um, I guess, mitigatable. And then others where we're all just kind of screwed, uh, for lack of a better word. So that something... For example, a, a nuclear weapon, a nuclear warhead, if it detonated in space, has rippling effects there and could take out an entire section of, not just take them out, but turn them into space junk, which is dangerous as well. And the effects of that kind of detonation would last for years. Um, so something like that is is kind of beyond the realm of, of mitigation. Um, but when we're talking about uh, the more common things that we see, uh, like cyber attacks and uh, electromagnetic attacks to a to a lesser degree, but still equally prominent. Those two things, there are lots of things that we can do. And when it comes to resilience, uh, that's sort of where the focus is because security, you know, it's aiming to assure your asset. Um, and, and there's so much assurance is absolutely necessary. Um, but then beyond, like, what do you do after that? How are you going to keep your mission going? And I think that's the key. That's the key thing to focus on when we're talking about security and resilience for space systems is your mission outcomes. So whether that's to deliver um, internet communications, whether it's to deliver uh, GPS uh, navigation, and again, your clients, like if you're doing GPS, is it for people to use Google Maps or is it for a military weapon system? And, and those two are very different outcomes and you'd want to invest different levels uh, into the security and resilience of that. And the fact is that uh, a lot of the stuff that we rely on does exist in constellations. So if there's a single satellite that's taken out with a single, say, anti-satellite missile, it may not have 
uh, so, such far-reaching effects on the actual mission outcomes. But something like a cyber attack, which especially if you get into the ground segment, then uh, you're, you're effectively effect you're effectively affecting the entire ecosystem there. So it's yeah, they, they need to be approached differently is what I'm trying to say, but it can be done just depending on the level that we're talking at and the types of threats that you're facing as, a, as an operator. Where, where are we now in terms of, if you could quantify that, are we not even started? Have we scratched the surface? Are we starting to make headways? Where, so yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. The problem is that all of those 8,000 satellites that I mentioned that are floating around up there, a lot of those are, are, are old. And the thing is like, we're essentially in a second space race right now, um, where the first space race was very politically oriented um, and there was a lot of Cold War elements. The second space race is dominated by uh, commercial investment. And so when it comes to commercial anything, you need to get your product out there quickly. You need to beat your competitors to, to get your brand awareness um, early. Um, and that has a direct opposition to some of the security outcomes that you might uh, be desiring <laughs> for this kind of infrastructure. So I'd say that like with the clients that I work with uh, through Ankrum, but also with the research that I do through the University of South Australia, I see a good range of, we've done absolutely nothing. We don't even know what risk assessment is all the way through to uh, having quite advanced uh, systems in place and architectures in place to ensure the resilience of their system. I'd say we're a bit all over the place. A lot of that stems from the lack of guidance that's available, I would say. The lack of guidance and the lack of impetus to actually invest in the security. It's also a hard place to, to govern in that no one really owns. There's no international governance, regulations, anything around space. In terms of commercialization of space, how do you see that being navigated you know, moving forward? Is there going to be an international body that will look after the governance and the implications of, of uh, technology on board these systems to secure them? I'd say that would be very challenging because as you say, it's uh, almost every, every spacefaring country needs to be a signatory. And that's everyone from Iran to Russia to China to the US to Australia to India um, and, and various meeting. others. Um, yeah, very fun meeting, uh, one which I hope that I'm never involved in. Um, <laughs> but um, but there are treaties. So th there are various treaties that are in place. And the history says one thing uh, as to the effectiveness of treaties, but th there are some treaties that exist. And one of them, referring back to the nuclear, in uh, uh, nuclear warhead example that I said before, there are, most countries are signatories to that, except for notably North Korea and China are not. So they've never signed anything saying that they won't detonate nuclear warheads in space. But uh, besides that, most people are signatories. Um, so there's, that's one element. I'd say another element is uh, things like standards and, and international guidance, which there is a lot of work going on. And um, in fact, I'm involved in a working group right now uh, with IEEE. Um, to be able to, to develop a space system security standard to provide this international level of guidance. Because the flip side of this coin is, uh, yeah, on the one hand, you know, we may be lacking international ability to do something about it, but because it's so international, uh, if you mess up something, it's going to affect everyone, including yourself. And so when we've seen these anti-satellite tests uh, from China and Russia recently, um, Everyone's affected by that. The International Space Station had to divert out of the way of that debris that they created, which had Russian cosmonauts on board. And so it's something that you want to be very careful with, uh, regardless of who you are. And um, the actors who have got the power to create the biggest impacts um, also have something to lose by doing that. And so, yeah, I, I think um, 
it's, it kind of keeps itself together loosely at the moment. And we're seeing some investments. So Australia, for example, has, has put out a statement saying that we need to invest in non-kinetic uh, counter space measures. Um, so things like, uh, well, presumably things like cyber and electromagnetic uh, attack vectors where you're able to defend yourself without creating too much space debris um, and without creating too much of a hazard for the international community. All in the definition of too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jordan, with some of the satellites, the, the hardware themselves being quite old, and then the, the, new, the Space Race 2.0 is very much in the commercial and private sector now. Have you got any thoughts on what it's going to take to really evolve the space systems and infrastructure with security in mind, given all those dynamics that you're describing? Yeah, look, uh, <laughs> at this point, I'm sort of... Well, a whole other thesis, hoping for the I'm best. Sure, um, <laughs> yeah, it could be. Could be. There's so much work to do in this area. Um, like there really is so much work to do in this area. Um, but um, yeah, look, I, I just I hope the discussions I have, even with um, companies that don't have the ability or the desire to invest in security early on, um, they do acknowledge the importance of of this and, and the importance of keeping it up, not just for their business but for society. And so that gives me some hope. And I I feel that as we continue to progress. As we continue to launch more, more and more of this ecosystem is going to be secure. But uh, then there are other sort of counterbalancing things coming out, like satellite to satellite communications, edge computing, which gives you the ability to process uh, information on board the satellite. And there are other things there which have other sort of countering implications. Um, so yeah, it, it's really it's a bit of a, a hodgepot. But I, I think I, I think that we're heading in the right direction. And there certainly is a lot of a lot more guidance coming out from governments around the world to help in, increase the security of systems being launched into space. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping out. And as we get more of these standards developed and you know implemented in in the community, then we'll see more growth in this area too. Um, and as for the systems that are already out there, they've got a life they've got a lifespan. So at some point they're going to be decommissioned. And there's also some research going on to try to. Uh, backfill security onto some of these systems as well. So yeah, there's, there's moves, moves to improve it. Um, how quickly we improve it is, is another question. Jordan, is it safe to assume that the organizations that have commercialized and, and have capabilities in space at the moment, one of their, the restrictions for cybersecurity products, cybersecurity, um, offerings, whatever that is in an umbrella term. They're concerned with, with bandwidth, that, that to me would be the biggest concern. Bandwidth is the limiting factor for anything on board a spacecraft and consuming some of that bandwidth to provide the metrics you need to determine whether there is something being breached. Is that a fair assumption that they are concerned with bandwidth? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, there's bandwidth, um, there's the size, weight, power restriction as well. Um, so bandwidth. Uh, it depends on who I talk to some and, and the, you know, what kind of mission they have, what kind of bandwidth they actually secure. But the thing is the bandwidth is the most, uh, expensive part of, of, of this operation. Um, because I mean, it may not be the most expensive part again, depends on what you're operating. Um, but it's, it's a cost that you've got, you've got a fixed limited resource that you need to be able to utilize as effectively as possible, um, as, as efficiently as possible. And the more efficient you are with that limited resource, the more money you can make effectively from commercial standpoint or the more capability that you can provide. Um, so that's definitely a key concern 
but there are plenty of cybersecurity solutions that um, can be implemented that limit the bandwidth requirements. And there are other technologies such as quantum coming out that's going to completely change this entire discussion. And I don't really want to open that Pandora's box, but I guess I just did. There are solutions <laughs> to this. But then the, the other thing, which I think is equally important, is this size, weight, power um, of the satellite itself. Because if you want to do something like even encryption, you know, it can help to have an onboard chip to, to do that. And if you've got, um, you know, you might have a, a, a threat detection device on board or authentic, some way to authenticate may require an onboard system as well. And all of these things, as well as the processing of the actual security requirements, uses this size, weight, power dynamic, which is the, the holy trinity of space operations, as well as bandwidth. Great question, Ben. And Jordan, you did open mm. up a Pandora's box on quantum. Interestingly, yeah. Ben and I just got off a recording about quantum. And so uh, your episode will we, be... We know everything. The week after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you I could give like us a breakdown, that. Ben, on quantum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Qubits. <laughs> Qubits, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's super interesting space domain, that's for sure. Yeah. Mm. Jordan, there was a big emphasis at the Space Summit around that third-party risk management as is universal across a lot of industries and domains, but your thoughts on the criticality of supply chain security in particular as it relates to space systems? Look, supply chain is the biggest thing, I think. Um, when you're talking about space systems, the supply chain is ridiculous. Um, it's it's huge. It's international. There's so many parts. Um, if you're a commercial provider, you're generally getting commercial off-the-shelf components, which you sort of piece together. There's not much ability or appetite to check these things and actually, you know, make sure that there's nothing nefarious in there. Most space attacks that to date have relied heavily on supply chain compromise. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's the one to focus on. I'd say that third-party risk management is is critical for it's critical and it's it's relatively cheap unless you're doing proper hardware checks if you're going to be doing supply chain uh security uh it starts with that third party questionnaire like you know what where do you supply where do you get products from what's your security posture what you know these kinds of questions are relatively easy to do as a small company and it makes big strides in your security posture hmm yeah the third, third party risk to space is even more relevant and you know we've seen the worst of it with Wisat the company Viasat were reportedly hacked by Russian state-based actors and they took control of the modems that sat within the satellite. It's a good example of this right there. Yeah, that's right. They actually encrypted it. Um, and um, and the, the issue with being able to, they encrypted the hardware devices, which uh, meant that they disconnected from the network, the satellite network. And um, the hardware manufacturer of this was all in uh, Western Europe. So it was very challenging to, to get that resupply, um, which meant that the impact was not only felt, but it was felt for longer than potentially it had to be. If that supply chain had been more uh, locked down, and then, you know, it could have been less impact potentially. Mm. Well, Jordan, are there any other recent examples of compromises or effects on society that have occurred within the space domain? That, yeah, that there's might be good, good exemplars. Yeah, well, besides the Vi I mean, I think the Viasat one has really caught the world's attention. Um, but yeah, there are plenty of others. Um, and um, and it's not just limited to cyber attacks. So there there have been um well over a hundred uh hacking incidents specifically um since uh well since we've recorded it. One of the first ones was 
it's actually quite funny, so I'm going to say it. One of, one of the first recorded incidents of a satellite hack was the Christian community channel in, in the US hack Playboy channel um, to, to run a, a yeah, biblical message over the usual broadcasting time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I love that one. Um, yeah, that was one of the first uh, recorded incidents. And since then, obviously, it's become a lot more critical uh, because we're talking about power systems going down. But other, other examples, um, there's a Star Starlink, uh, again, in the, um, in the Ukraine war, which is where we're seeing a lot of, I think this is one of the first times that we're seeing proper space being used in a proper warfare scenario. And we're seeing outcomes that are being uh, publicly disclosed because uh, there's a lot of publicity these days with social media and other things. We're getting a lot of information now, whereas previously a lot of these things were held closely. But yeah, there, there was uh, all sorts of um, electromagnetic attacks. Uh, so electromagnetic pulse weapons, um, spoofing and jamming as well um, against, uh, against satellite terminals on the uplink or the downlink um, to be able to uh, basically disconnect or, or interrupt uh, communications. And so that was happening for a, a period of time. And SpaceX was were doing pretty well to defend against this. But they uh, at some point they came out and they asked the US government for money because they're like, this is very expensive to keep trying to fend off these attacks. And we're starting to starting to not be such a good idea for us to have been getting involved without your support. So yeah, there's, <laughs> there's th those examples too. Um, but uh, th there, was, th there are a couple of other, I guess, on the research side as well, um, which are very fascinating. So there's uh, what, what's been called um, PC spoof, and it was a very specific attack to a, a common um, type of technology, time-triggered Ethernet, it's called, um, which enables a single communication to be able to do both critical and non-critical communications based on the time synchronization. And through some, some, DOS, some DOS, DOS methodology, um, in this example, they used an electromagnetic interference, um, they were able to actually desynchronize um, this thing and cause, um, in a simulation, they caused the Orion spacecraft to not be able to dock at the time that it was supposed to, in which case it hit the thing and bounced off um, in, uh, into space indefinitely. Those kinds of attacks exist even with quantum um, because uh, a lot of these technologies, for example, GPS, rely on, um, on timing to be able to keep accuracy. So even if it's encrypted, uh, you're able to delay these packets and you still can actually accurately spoof uh, locations, even if it's encrypted um, because uh, of this delay. These, I guess these are the sorts of attacks that, uh, that are coming out now, but traditionally a lot of it has been against the ground station. Um, so it seems a little bit less sexy. There have been a lot of, uh, a lot of hacking attempts and not just hacking, but also physical attacks against ground station infrastructure as well. Wild. Absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. The um the electromagnetic stuff spins me, Jordan. That's that's some of my background too. Is is uh, leaning into the electromagnetic spectrum weaponry uh, in form of defense against what started with remote control IEDs, but then moving into drones and then moving beyond that, which was certainly space. But the amount of power required to be able to do that, it's 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 not just for the average YouTube. And that's what I'm trying to get at. The actors yeah. that that are involved within this space hacking is not just your your average YouTube hacker. It's um it's specifically trained and targeted, and the support behind it for some of these attacks are required. Is is beyond the capability of of a standard you and I. I say you and I's game because I know Jordan you probably could tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but the reason I bring that up is uh, 
a lot of the examples we've seen to date have been from state-based or they have been from mm -hmm. uh, companies like Talos doing full good white hat hacking on, you know, the European Space Agencies, uh, for instance, just to showcase the vulnerabilities involved. In your thesis paper, you mentioned the four verticals there. Is there any point at which the average hacker being involved in, in space hacking? Look, actually, I, so I agree with you about the, the extent uh, and the investment required to be able to pull off some of these electromagnetic attacks. Um, and, and certainly the, the kinetic attacks against the space infrastructure itself. Um, but there are a lot of things that can be done by your average terrorist or criminal group, especially when it comes to hacking. So I was, I was recently at CISAT, which is a cybersecurity for satellites uh, conference in Paris. I was in Paris this year. And uh, when I was there, there were a lot of very interesting presentations, as you can imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, there was, there was some on, um, well, we heard from General Poti from Ukraine, uh, and, and he was talking about how Russia was involved in the Ukraine attacks and, and the kind, kinds of method, methods that they used to impact it. And it doesn't always have to be so technical. So some of the things that they were doing was just changing. It was, I guess, you, you can use it for ideological purposes as well. So they're trying to change the mindset of some people that they, they were giving out free cable TV to in Russian, of course, to certain minority groups around Europe and trying to inspire because at the end of the day, some attacks are, are not so complex to carry out. So space has relied a lot on security by obscurity in the past. And, you know, if you get like some, some of the presentations I saw, you, you get in there and you're like, okay, what am I looking at? And then basically it just takes a lot of time to poke around because, it, you know, lateral movement within some of these systems, once you're on, once you're connected in, uh, it, it's not so difficult. It's more that it's, it's just obscure. Um, so one, one example from one of the presentations that I saw um, they were able to connect in. So usually if you've got a satellite up there, there's some sort of sensing, uh, technology on there so that, uh, you might have like a camera, for example, and he was able to see the camera repository. And then from there he was like, okay, this must be getting data from somewhere. And so he went around in command line and, and just tried to figure out what kind of other folders were on there and, and managed to find some other folders, which then he went into and he did this all live on the screen. Um, and it was just him. And basically in the end, at the end of it, he was able to get onto the control system because the control system itself managed the camera, which then sent the files to, um, to this folder, which were then transmitted. And he was able to sort of reverse engineer that process, figure out where the central uh, repository was or, you know, where the, uh, which area he needed to access to be able to get control. And then he sort of stopped there because, you know, it gets pretty dangerous, but he was, he did a proof of concept and that was just one, one presentation. I saw two to three other presentations where they did something similar. And these were teams of one to three people. And all of them said, you know, it's not that it was easy. It took us a lot of time and there was a lot of moments there where they're sort of ripping out their hair, but they got there and it didn't require a multi-million dollar investment or, you know, an entire team of trained cyber hackers that they were just curious. Uh, and so I think, yeah, right now there's been a lot of reliance on this obscurity. You know, most people sort of think that's, that's very complex. It's out there. It's going to be difficult. And maybe you're not even aware of the impacts you could cause by doing it. But all of this stuff is starting to become more public now. And so my expectation is that we will start seeing some more small scale uh, attacks. I think, you know, it is largely focused on national offense because it has national outcomes, it has war outcomes, it has strategic outcomes for negotiations. But now that it's starting to become more visible, more accessible, especially with a lot of the LEO satellites being thrown up there, I do expect to see some more lone attacks. 
that, that is, that's a scary thought in itself. I love that you use security by obscurity. For me, the way that this should move is, and again, this is world according to Ben, security by obscurity moving into secure by design for ultimately a defensible architecture. Where we are currently is sort of sitting in between that, based on what I'm hearing from you, Jordan, is between that security by obscurity heading in towards that secure by design. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and I, I think that's where a lot of the focus is now. And, and that's why um, my research has been pretty well received is because people are sort of at that point now where they're like, you know what, we should be adding security into our design. Uh, we should be thinking about it. And yeah, I agree. I think that's the path to maturity. And I think we're on that path now. Honestly, I don't think we're too far behind other critical infrastructure sectors. And, and if we're talking about Australia as a nation, we're in a pretty good position because we don't have a lot of this legacy problems of, of old space infrastructure. Like we're predominantly new space, which means that there's, we're in the process of establishing a lot of this stuff. We're in the process of setting up functional launch pads and stations. We're in the process of, you know, we've got some ground infrastructure, but as far as space systems go, this is the things that we're starting to develop now. And so we're at a really good point to be able to inject this security by design. And the Australian government did a good thing by, with the Security of Critical Infrastructure Act, they changed it to include space technologies on there. Now, right now, as it stands, it applies to very, very few operators. But the thing is that the legislative mechanism is in place now. And because we're kind of new to the race, I'm hoping that we can enter it with some security by design early on and stand out on the international stage as being able to provide secure infrastructure. But yeah, you know, half of that is rooted in reality and the other half is rooted in my, my hopes. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, good work, Jordan, for pioneering this amazing research too and amplifying this message about it because it is absolutely critical. It's amazing to see. Thank you. I join you in your in your optimism there as well, Jordan. I think that's where we we should be, and I hope we get there. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it it makes you, um, or at least I can go to bed a bit easier if I think we're heading in the right direction. Um, if I'm going to bed feeling like it, the the sky is gonna, you know, almost quite literally collapse on me, um, <laughs> then yeah, it's it's not a good feeling. <laughs> it's not as bad. All of these things we're saying, it is it is super severe, and yes, we're at an immature place. But the reality is that because it's so big um, and we're talking about constellations in general, the actual impact, you know, if someone hacks a satellite, we're not going to lose banking, trains, planes, military, everything all at once, unless it's one of those solar flares that we spoke about. If it's, if it's a malicious attack, chances are it's going to be a little bit more targeted. Uh, yeah. Although you can only be so targeted, as we said, the Russian attack in Ukraine, they were trying to focus on Ukraine, but in the whole of Europe got affected. But it was still Europe and it wasn't the world losing everything. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jordan, just lastly, is there anything that you would like to see the community rally around from your perspective? I would like to see the concept of resilience uh, taken more seriously. Um, I yeah. think uh, like you see it a lot. You see the word a lot. Um, and when you, when you actually dig down, like no one actually knows what that means. They're just they're basically replacing security with resilience. And that's one of my pet peeves because uh, especially when we're talking about critical infrastructure, they're, they're very different concepts. And like I said, resilience has to be targeted towards a threat. And when you're talking about critical infrastructure in space, resilience is your utmost importance because it's not necessarily confidential information. Sometimes it is, but in general, you're talking about the availability. And so you want to make sure that these systems are available and remain operationally viable and sustainable. Uh, and so, yeah, it does. It does upset me a little when I go somewhere and they're selling a resilient solution and you ask questions and they don't even like, 
I know for a fact that they didn't assess it because I developed one of the first assessment methodologies to be able to actually look at that. And so I'm like, what did you use to assess this? What's your, what's your criteria for resilience? And they're always like, we're compliant with something. And, you know, it doesn't really cut the mustard there. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And um, for those listening, there's definitely a lot that you talk about in your thesis as well. We will link that in the show notes and potentially even we get you back. Just like Space Race 2.0, Jordan, we'll do another Dark Mode 2.0 episode to talk about resilience. Please. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Hey, Jordan, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate your perspectives. Always super interesting and could yeah. go through a host of more rabbit holes on this topic area. So really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate being here and thank you for helping to share the good word about space security. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Jordan. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next episode of Dark Mode.